parler, une caresse pour décoller. Si tu veux te réchauffer, faut savoir bien piguiner. C'est bon pour le moral, c'est bon pour le moral, c'est bon pour le moral, c'est bon pour le moral. Good morning, on Tuesday, the 23rd of February 2021, welcome to West Coast Radio, broadcasting live from the Gambia where it's now 8 a.m. and therefore coffee time with me, Peter Gomez, always brought to you in association with OIC Gambia and Banjul Shipyard Company Limited. The Gambia may be the smallest country in Africa, but it will host the second largest gathering of world leaders in 2022 to successfully host the OIC Summit. The government of the Gambia set up OIC Gambia to mobilize resources for the implementation of key development and infrastructure projects on a scale never seen before. 20 new roads will be constructed across the country and the Bertel Harding Highway will be expanded into a dual carriage highway of two lanes on each side from the airport to Sting Corner. All people in the Gambia deserve clean water and a constant flow of electricity. Therefore, an entirely new water system will be constructed, including new transmission and distribution networks to meet the increasing demand. In order to provide a more reliable supply of electricity, the OIC Gambia project will replace and double the capacity of the Nawak transformers and overhead electric cables. We will equip the police with modern apparatus, a technical training and an effort to keep the streets of the Gambia safe. OIC Gambia, building today for a better tomorrow. Shipyard Company Limited, a subsidiary of the Gambia Ports Authority, delivering excellent services to marine and industrial servicing. Our services also include welding and carpentry. Our welding works includes fabrication of tanks for petrol stations, marine buoys, roof trusses, buckler proofs, steel gates, and many more. A carpentry workshop provides office furniture, such as filing cabinets of all sizes, junior executive decks, household furniture, bedroom sets, kitchen sets, roofing works, school furniture, and many more. With Banjul Shipyard Company Limited, we get it done for you, so worry no more. For more information, call 997-7271 or 790-6256. And coming up uh, on the program this morning, the Permanent Secretary for Basic and Secondary Education on the lack of running water and sanitation at St. Charles Luanga Lower and Upper Basic Schools. Marina International School returns, but the management remains reticent about the coronavirus outbreak among the students which led to the school's temporary closure earlier this month. Banjul hosts a regional gathering of the Intergovernmental Action Group against money laundering in West Africa. Social commentator Pasamba Jao is hot under the collar because some Gambian politicians are in Nigeria meeting former President Goodluck Jonathan. What's his beef about the mission? Gambians want a COVID vaccine, but they ought to know there are some side effects to be expected after the vaccine. Also on the program, could you be addicted to coffee? The type not served on this program, of course. How can you cut back on your addiction? Plus, all of Tuesday's newspaper headlines and OIC Gambia focus in this first hour of the program. Then we have the Ibrahimas for the whole of the second hour. So get texting what you would like me to put to them. Our numbers are familiar, 9910959, 9910959, 9910959. 
and 7711599 for SMS texts and plus 2209232333. That number again for WhatsApp, 9232333. The Echoes Brown Card Scheme is an extension of domestic motor third party liability insurance covers within the Echoes subregion. The scheme was established by the Protocol on Free Movement of Goods and Persons across ECOWAS national boundaries to facilitate economic integration. Each ECOWAS member state therefore has a national office coordinating its activities. So in the event of an accident with another ECOWAS motorist, immediately contact the National Bureau of the country where the accident occurs. You are guaranteed immediate assistance and payment of any civil liability claim arising from the accident. The contact details of all national bureaus are at the back of the ECOWAS Bound Card Certificate. For more information, please contact National Bureau ECOWAS Bound Card Insurance Scheme at 10 C. Nelson Mandela Street, Banjul, or telephone 4201637-707-1004, or email info at ECOWASBoundCard.gm or samsehu at msn.com. To start us off for this newspaper review, here's the point, and its front page says... Police urged to produce P.S. Banja investigation report. Jame remains supreme leader as APRC grapples with insufficient finances. Over 600 communities to get electricity in three years and top Senegalese actors to play in Gambian series. The Voice front page says, Basic Education Minister at Center of Controversy over Model Senior Secondary School Government to commission 30 megawatts in 2022. Gambian professor urges UTG students to dedicate knowledge towards national development and how select committee adjourns session as NEA governing authority fails to appear. Next to Foraya's front page, the banner headline runs, police arrest six people following land dispute between Basuri and Duwasu. Young Sture denies blocking late Koro Sise vehicle. Health experts reveal more work needs to be done to end FGM. APRC holds 7th National Congress and CA tells IEC not to rush things. We end with the standard, and these are the stories on its front page. Political leaders in Abuja for constitution talks. Gambia beat Ghana to reach AFCON on the 20 quarterfinals. Suso Foundation unites politicians on national interest. Bakau and Kotu fire ambulances dysfunctional. And MFDC rejects reports of camp seizure. And yes, that was your Tuesday look at the newspaper front pages. We want to thank The Point, The Voice, The Standard, and Foroya for their kind cooperation with this program. Coffee time with Peter Gomez, coming to you live on West Coast Radio 92.1 in The Gambia. For over 50 years, the Gambia Chamber of Commerce and Industry has been the voice of business in the Gambia. Always happy to be at the heart of trade facilitation for Gambian entrepreneurs. On January 1st, 2021, trading under the Africa Continental Free Trade Area formally began. The AFCFTA lowers trade barriers and promotes regional economic integration. The GCCI is pleased to inform local businesses entrepreneurs and our 2.2 million population that they can all benefit from the AFCFTA's trade facilitation. As the approved national competent authority for the issuance and management of the AFCFTA rules of origin certificate, 
the GCCI will give free guidance to every Gambian business, entrepreneur and individual who needs it. For more information and regular updates on the AFCFTA, visit GCCI at Kerjula Bijilo or www.gcci.gm. Eight and a half minutes past eight o'clock in the Gambia. Welcome to Coffee Time with Peter Gomez if you're just tuning in. And we're going to start with some grim news that two more Gambians, both in their mid-60s, have perished as a second wave of the coronavirus tightens its grip on our country. And for the period February the 19th to the 21st, 58 new COVID-19 cases have been diagnosed locally. It means that as we approach one year since the first case was discovered in the Gambia, a total of 144 people have been killed by the virus in this country, and 4,612 detections have been made. Of those, at least three were schoolchildren from Marina International, a sought-after private school at Bakau Newtown. The school was forced to close for a few weeks after it was hit by an outbreak earlier this month. Classes moved online. But yesterday, students were allowed back to the classroom, and Alhaji Kuli went along to see what new preventive measures would be in place and also to try and get a word out of a tight-lipped principal. Here is his report. So there you go again, Uncle Peter. As you plucked off the phone yesterday, parents continue dropping off their children. Health screening and health safety guidelines, including temperature checks upon arrival before students are allowed to enter the school campus, prevailed throughout. There were dozens of sanitizers assembled at both the lower basic and high school main gate and students are required to rub and sanitize their hands while putting on their face masks. Staff, school security gatekeepers including the cleaners all on face masks. The health screening and health safety guidelines application conducted obviously especially in the situation of Marina International where the school reopened due to a COVID closure. Administrators must advocate for serious implementation of the guidelines for safe school operation. However, I continue my conversation with parents dropping off their children off record as to how comfortable are they. But indeed, there was mixed feelings among parents, including some teachers, hanging outside the school campus. And on the question of how much consideration was given in a way that keeps students and staff safe. Teachers on that question remain mute amid the bureaucracy. Also on the subject of the conducted COVID-tested students in Marina, how many students were tested? How are they tested? Where are they tested? After they are tested, who collected the results of the tested students? Well, guess what on those questions, Uncle Peter? One school authority who wants to remain anonymous expressed discontentment on how students' results were handled by the school administration. In fact, students' COVID-tested results were picked up by their parents. And given that as students resume, they are of the view that students should have presented their COVID-test result for them to ascertain before they allow them to walk into their classroom. But all of that was not observed. However, on the question of what 
Measures are in place to ensure Marina School is safe for those learners and staff, including developed contingency plans by the school administrators. All of those answers cannot be brought to the fore. Why? One, I was denied entry into the school campus and asked to wait for Mr. William Atto, the headmaster, who was busy on the resumption arrangement of the students. There and then, I was comfortably offered a chair and left hanging outside. Until later, when the deputy headmaster, Mr. O.D. Cisse, came out with the information that I cannot be granted the interview after an hour of patiently waiting. But God so good, this man came out of the school surprisingly. I'm um, Louis Moses Mendy, Permanent Secretary, Minister of Basic and Second Education. Okay, uh, Marina resumed today after two weeks of COVID closure, but you took your time as the Permanent Secretary. What have you observed and what has been your discussion with the school authorities? Uh, first, let me start by saying that it was important that I came, uh, at least to see after the closure, as you said, what is on the ground, how prepared the school is, and what are the facilities that are there and the arrangements that are in place. Uh, but to be honest with you, I think they have resorted back to an arrangement they used to have in the past that is confining, for example, the grade ones or the form ones to, together in a block such that they do not interact with others. They don't go out of a, a particular area. That's what they have resorted to now after resuming or after close of two weeks. And I think for me that is impressive. Uh, it's impressive because if one of the students in any of those grades, uh, may God forbid, tests positive, then it means that cohort of students will be now asked home. And the school will not necessarily close, but rather just that particular grade or form. And I think for me that is good. Okay. I have observed that and the environment is clean. And everybody seems to be observing the protocols. I've been to a couple of classes, and each student, and even the teachers, had their mask on. Okay. So, but your discussion with them, what are some of the steps now they said they've put in place now that students resume? Uh, of course, they're trying to redouble the, their efforts uh, to cater for the lost hours. Uh, they've done some remedial measures by giving or going to give students some extra work both in in the school and also at home just so that they can catch up for the loss that they have uh, over the last two weeks of closure marina is a private school and as the permanent secretary uh, what have you learned out of what happened in marina to avoid such situation in our public schools in fact just to tell you when the news came to me I, I, I went to the neighboring schools. This is about a month or more before, even before they closed. I was in touch with them uh, until closure. So when I got the news about uh, a case in Marina, I went to Bacau Newtown. I went to the schools along Batin Hayden, just to tell them that they should be in alert. They should also reinforce whatever uh, measures they were doing or taking uh, and keep everybody at least safe for the for the moment since one of the schools got so we were we were in informed and uh, we had all our also our measures and our plans on and also our ears on the ground and our eyes everywhere just to make sure that our students are safe
We also spoke to students and they raised concerns about lack of, you know, uh, face marks. Uh, or is your ministry providing that for students? Uh, I, I would be surprised to hear that because I can tell you, even prior to this case in Marina, we've done another third round of masks across the country, across the country, from Banjul all the way to uh, URR. So for students to say they are without masks is really a surprise thing to me to hear because we've distributed enough, not only masks, all the other PPEs were sent to schools as we talk. Our officers are out in the fields distributing just in case there is a school that, uh, you know, runs out of their supply. My, my officers are all out in the, in the fields to ensure that that has happened. But we've already do, done three supplies across the country from the resumption of schools in October to now. We've done that. And, and there are enough in, in each regional offices. Mm. It's not only located at head office also. Uh, PS is just 12 minutes to 9 a.m. and I'm sure you are rushing to office. But finally, there are super spreader programs going on and most of these are parents who will be interacting with their kids. Are you concerned as the permanent secretary with what is happening in terms of protecting your children? Yes, I'm very concerned. If you recall sometime in, in June when we were up resuming the grade 9 and grade 8, I, I, I spoke to your podium and I said my schools were safer than the homes. And I still stand by that statement. Because my students in the school, they observe the necessary rules and regulations that are put across. But I don't have control over my students when they get to the communities. And this is why individual responsibilities come in. Each of us has a responsibility. Let us all be responsible. Let us all watch out for our children, our students, where they go, what they do, who they interact with. That is very important because after school life or after school hours, they, the rest of it is spent at home. So how do we now reconcile the safety at school vis-à-vis -vis the safety at home? All of us should do our bit as parents, as individuals, as stakeholders, and I'm very, very concerned. And my... my Plead again to parents who would be let us all watch out and be care. We show some, we demonstrate some care and responsibility to our students as to what they do, where they go, who they interact with, and so on and so forth. If we do that, I can tell you for certain, my schools will be COVID-19 free because the, the regulations are strictly adhered to in the schools. Yes. Louis Moses Mandy. Thank you so very much for your time talking to Westwood today. It's a pleasure. You're welcome. And uh, P.S. Louis Moses Mandy is a permanent secretary in the Ministry for Basic and Secondary Education. Later in the program, he'll give his reaction to our top story yesterday about the lack of running water and not enough toilet facilities for nearly 5,000 pupils at another major school in the Gambia. But staying with the subject of COVID-19. Hello, everyone. This is the Covers for COVID campaign. My name is Naifa Tunjai. Here are simple steps you can take to help stop the spread of COVID-19. Wash your hands regularly, wear a face mask properly, and maintain social distance. This announcement is brought to you by me, Naifa Tunjai, in partnership with the U.S. Embassy Banjo. Don't forget to adhere to the CDC and WHO guidelines. Solen mask. 
And as the vaccine rollout gets underway in Australia, health authorities are looking overseas to see if there are signs the vaccines are showing signs of stopping the transmission of the virus. Now, while the vaccines are stopping most people from getting seriously ill, the data is still emerging on whether they will stop the spread. But even if they don't, immunization experts say if enough people take the vaccine, COVID-19 may become something we can live with. Professor Robert Boy is an infectious diseases expert at the University of Sydney with decades of experience both in researching and implementing vaccine programs. He told the ABC's Samantha Donovan people should expect some side effects after getting a coronavirus vaccine. They're not going to be serious, but they will be pain, soreness, maybe a bit of fever and chills, especially the day after vaccination, and those other flu-like symptoms of headache, muscle ache. I don't think that'll put people off if they know to expect it. If you've got pain at the injection site, you can appreciate that that might be your immune system helping you to respond and make a protective antibody uh, response. There's sometimes a, a misconception that people getting the flu shot are getting a bit of the flu injected into them. They're not getting any coronavirus injected into them, are they, with these vaccines, either Pfizer or AstraZeneca? It's a really important point to recognise that uh, the vaccine will not give you COVID. There's no virus in the vaccine that can possibly cause infection and disease. How concerned are you by reports that the AstraZeneca vaccine, which we know most Australians will most likely be getting, reports that it may not be as effective with the, the South African variant? Yes, uh, all of the vaccines produced so far do appear to be less effective against the South African variant. The best quality evidence we have so far is from doing blood tests to show that people who are vaccinated, that their blood neutralises the virus. We want to get even better information from studies in people, real-world circumstances out there in the community. And even if the virus is less well-protected, the best evidence is that for severe illness, causing hospitalisation and death, there is still a high level of protection. If that changes, there's always the possibility of having a booster, which is better protective in six months' time. Do you think it's likely we'll need annual booster shots of COVID vaccines? That's the way things are shaping up, that we'll need a booster perhaps once a year. There is also the possibility that the coronavirus will continue to mutate and instead of becoming more worrying, it may become more congenial to humans and become more like a cold virus that gives you a snuffle and a bit of a cough, but not much more. So for the moment, we still carry at least a 1% mortality overall in the population. And in people over 80, at least 10% are dying from the infection. But it has probably 10 times the mortality rate of influenza. So it's well and truly worth preventing for the next year or two, but it could evolve into a much milder infection. Getting towards herd immunity and as many people as possible having the vaccine key to that, or can a virus evolve into that more minor condition of its own? Yeah, it's a really important question. The virus naturally evolves and it's driven by wanting to be able to transmit and stay alive, so to speak. It's not actually alive because it's a little piece of RNA, but uh, it is transmissible and by passing from one person to another, it survives. So it, it aims to get more transmissible and in so doing, the normal viral evolution is that viruses tend to become less severe to humans 
in the, in the uh, course of becoming more transmissible, they become less likely to cause disease. And in terms of transmissibility, it's a big question at the moment, isn't it? Even if we yeah. get the vaccine, we still don't know if someone's going to be able to transmit it to other people. What are your thoughts on what we know at the moment about the transmissibility of the virus after someone's had the vaccination? We don't have the whole story yet, but we do know that you're much less likely to develop symptoms and especially severe symptoms. So if you're not coughing, if you're not sneezing, if you've not got a runny nose that you're spreading around in your environment, you're probably less likely to transmit. And that evidence is starting to come through. It's not totally convincing yet. Not all the studies are in. There's a lot of work going on to address whether mild disease or even asymptomatic disease will continue to cause transmission. I think it's uh, likely that there will be some transmission in milder and asymptomatic cases, but I expect the transmission to be substantially reduced because the disease is protective and because you don't have symptoms, you're less likely to transmit. So what do you think that means for our hopes for the end of things like lockdowns and mask wearing and, and having to social distance whenever we're out in public? Yeah, well, they're all different matters, but uh, the lockdowns are extreme and uh, there's already indications from chief health officers that they're going to be much less likely to be needed. There'll be much more in the way of protection in the community, whether it's from social distancing which will probably need to continue and people shouldn't relax too much. Uh, respecting those people around you, you can respect them by um, doing a, an elbow pump or a, a big smile rather than having to shake hands and have a big hug, much as we'd like to do that with our nearest and dearest. Yeah, that's what I do every day, elbow bump rather than shake hands. That's Professor Robert Boy. He's an infectious diseases expert at the University of Sydney, Australia. And he spoke there to the ABC's Samantha Donovan. Now, do you have a business or service that isn't doing as well as you'd like? People are obviously not aware of it, and that's why it's doing so badly. Change your business fortunes by turning to us to get the word out about that business or service. Because here, West Coast Radio, and this program in particular, is where the people you target meet every morning. So get in touch on either 787 and speak to Mr. Jibril Jassy, very nice young man, or 9910959, and speak to me, as horrible as I may be. So those numbers again, 787-0107 for Mr. Jibril Jassy, nice young man, or 9910959 for yours truly. Our time, 8.28. Now, as soon as I finished presenting Monday's program, which was dominated by Alajikuli story, on years of suffering by pupils and staff of St. Charles Luanga Lower and Upper Basic Schools from lack of running water and insufficient toilets, we got a reaction, not from the ministry or government, but a private individual who wanted to do something to end the school's potentially disastrous situation, given the persistent pandemic. So when Elagicoli ran into the basic and secondary education permanent secretary, he took up our top story with Mr. Louis Moses Mendy. Uh, we were at St. Charles Luanga Basic School where the school is grappling with inadequate water and poor latrine. Is your minister aware of these challenges at St. Charles Luanga Basic School? Uh, let me say that yes, we are aware. But uh, yes, we know they, they, they are challenged in times of uh, toilets or classroom facilities simply because of the spread. You know, when classes were reduced, they had to uh, use classes on the other school. 
So we are aware of that, and that also would affect the uh, the toilet uh, facilities in terms of number to usage, erase your terms. Okay. However, it is always important that people proactively work on their needs. I'm saying this because we have so many channels to address this. We have cluster monitors, we have regional officers, we have the director before it gets to the head office. So these are things that they should be interacting. Personally, I engage uh, some of the officials of that school, and they promise coming to me to table down some of their needs. And up to this hour, I've not seen anybody in my office. Perhaps they might have gone to the regional office. But if you are so serious about these facilities and you think there was really need for you to have these facilities in your school, you met me as the permanent secretary. I gave you the will that you could come to me anytime. And up to this hour, none of them has come. So, yes, I am aware, I take full responsibility, but I think we should all be responsible. Each of us has a role to play, regardless of where you are, whether a classroom teacher, a headmaster, a permanent secretary, or whoever you think you are. Each of us has a role to play. And unless we fulfill our roles as individuals, collectively we will not achieve anything. That's Louis Moses Mendy. He's the permanent secretary in the Ministry for Basic and Secondary Education. And live on West Coast Radio 92.1, you are with Coffee Time with me, Peter Gomez, brought to you in association with Banjul Shipyard Company Limited and OIC Gambia. If you need services of machine shop, Worry no more. Banjul Shipyard Company Limited, a subsidiary of the Gambia Ports Authority, delivering excellent services to marine and industrial servicing. We have sofas grinding for top cylinder heads, threading of pipes, shafts and nuts, machining of axle for trucks, regrouping of pistons, pressing works, drilling works, wheel drum and dig scheming. Our electrical workshop does repair and servicing of electronic equipment, wiring of buildings, electrical installation works, and many more. Bandle Shipyard Company Limited, we are your solution to marine and industrial services. For more information, call 997-7271 or 790-6256. Building the largest international conference center in the region, a five-star hotel with state-of-the-art facilities, first-class mobility services, and improving the VVIP experience at the Banjul International Airport, OIC Gambia will position the Gambia as the leading conference destination in West Africa. With our partners in the tourism sector, we will reinforce the preeminent position of our nation, the Smiling Coast, as a go-to destination. The OIC Gambia will create strategic partnerships that calls for the involvement of local talent and businesses as a matter of requirement. In short, OIC Gambia projects will create jobs, boost commerce, accelerate growth, improve the urban outlook and lifestyles of many families across the Gambia. So let's support the OIC Gambia as it prepares us for one of the biggest global events. OIC Gambia, building today for a better tomorrow. It is 33 and a half minutes past 8 o'clock in the Gambia. Commentator Pasamba Jao in the United States is fuming this morning. But what's getting under his skin? 
Well, I can tell you in just two words, Gambian politicians. So for the full details and a Banna Sabali report on money laundering, keep it right here. Just wait a bit. Because right now we have Ndei Kumba Demba on standby to bring us up to date with what's going on at the OIC Gambia Secretariat at Bijilo. Ndei, it's over to you. Good morning, Peter, and dear listeners, welcome to OIC Gambia Focus. On today's show, we'll be providing general updates on our various projects, roads, electricity, water, and the VVIP airport lounge. In August, Pace and Gamex, a joint venture between Gambian and Saudi engineering consultancy firms, were hired for the design and supervision of the 50-kilometer urban roads project. Currently, the Department of Physical Planning and Housing, Department of Lands and Surveys, and the National Roads Authority are conducting a property assessment and valuation exercise along the Battle Harden Highway and the 50-kilometer urban roads. The exercise is expected to last for three months. Let's hear from the project manager, Keba Tarawale. Um, this is part of the marking, okay, as well as the verification from the submission by the consultant of the demolition uh, properties that are affected by the uh, 50-kilometer roads. Mm-hmm. So we have received from the consultant a report which shows all the affected properties. So we are now going out to the field. Okay, we started things last week. So today we are at road number 13, that is from Kololi to Sukuta. Okay, so we are marking as well as identifying the affected properties with physical planning. This is part of the process. Okay, at this moment we are just marking and informing um, residents that their properties have been affected mm-hmm. by the upcoming 50-kilometer urban road project mm-hmm. that we are about to uh, start the construction very soon. At this moment also, Batil Hardin, there is another team that is also doing the marketing, mm-hmm. okay, as well as serving the uh, property owners. Mm-hmm. We want to do the two processes together so that we gain some time uh, because the execution, that is the civil work, is going to start very soon. Um, how important is this process um, to the construction of the roads? Okay, this process is very, very important, okay, because when we mobilize the contractor, we need to make the size accessible to the contractor. The contractor needs to have full possession of the site in order to start the work. So before the contractor is mobilized, we have to make sure that uh, the site is cleared, okay, and the properties that are to be demolished are demolished, okay. Uh, we inform the property owners, we serve them as well, which physical planning and uh, department of plans will be doing, so that when the contractor comes in, Okay, he will have full access and then he will have full possession of the site and he can do the demolition. The general public, um, I will tell them to be very cooperative with us, okay, because this development, they are going to be the direct beneficiary. So uh, the roads are going to be built, okay, to some standard, okay, so it needs space. 
we don't just want to squeeze the road through the existing right of way. Mm -hmm. So we appeal to their understanding and also we promise that we will deliver a very good road. In a series of announcements in December 2020, the OIC Gambia Secretariat announced the hiring of Da and Mahfouz Engineering, which is a joint venture between Gambian and Saudi engineering firms, as the consultants for the design and supervision of the OIC Electricity Network Enhancement Project. The project aims to provide and enhance the capacity of the primary substations of NOEC and the transmission and distribution of electricity. Mr. al is project manager. Technology has been facing a lot of problems on the transmission of the cities and the network mm -hmm. due to the growing demand of the population within the greater Banyu area mm -hmm. due to economic activities and population growth. Mm -hmm. It has overstretched our transmission distribution network. Even now it has invested more money on the generating part, but those generators need transmission distribution network to go to, go to the end users. And without stable transmission network that we are presently having, we are having problems of low voltage in our network that initiated the government to invest on our transmission distribution network. Uh, the, you know, before the people, the end users will be able to use this power, it needs to be transported from the primary to the secondary substation to the low voltage network. Presently, we, it's a bit stable to some part of the country because there are challenges within our network. We have transforms that are overloaded. We have long lines in our network that are causing low voltage in the network. Despite we have power, we cannot transmit those powers. So the need for this project is to be able to implant more transformers within our network to able to also reduce the technical losses with our network, which are also related to financial losses on NOEC. So that's why this project is very important, not only to give new electrification to new areas, but the existing network, how are we going to strengthen this network, which is a key priority to know it now. In December 2020, Saudi Tech and Cityscapes Associates were hired as consultants for the design and supervision of the rehabilitation of water and sanitation network project. The project is aimed at providing reliable source of clean and safe drinking water with the construction of new water systems, boreholes, water transmission plants, storage facilities, and the transmission and distribution networks through end users. We hear from project manager Ibrahim Sekan. It's going to have three components. Um, you have the water production, water distribution, and uh, uh, a transmission. We are going to have um, a water treatment plant. As you may know, they, it is illegal to supply raw water for domestic customers and industrial customers too. So therefore, we now will treat this water at a treatment plant, which will have a capacity to be able to treat minimum 13 bowls, minimum, uh, to 250 thousand liters per hour, 250,000 liters per hour, that's the capacity of uh, the treatment plant we propose, the minimum capacity, and this will supply water to the OIC concentrated areas. As we said, key among them will be the Bigelow area, where I have most of the activities um, 
the Bidilo area, the Kotu area, the Salaji areas. This is where we expect the, 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 the delegates, most of the delegates to be, what of course by extension to other areas also. You know. So basically the project is to improve the water supply in these areas. You know. So when you have a project like this that will come and complement mm -hmm. what we are doing to be able to satisfy our customers is, is what welcoming. Mm -hmm. That's why uh, the NAREC team from managing director from the board downwards and the government of the Gambia has given this project uh, priority. And, uh, you know, it is going to help in closing the gap, mm -hmm. especially in this area, because we know uh, our network is not adequate, you know, in this the particular area that we are talking about. That is from uh, uh, the, 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 the KMC area and part of... Uh, uh, the the, the Bilkama Council area because uh, where our office is situated right now, the OIC Secretariat is in, is in Bilkama area. So extending all the way to Sanyang's uh, Gunjur areas, we consider all those areas as OIC concentrated area, you know, and these are going to be the intervention areas. Mm. But of course, the main concentration is around the conference center and the hotels and, um, you know, the immediate surrounding. In August 2020, NACO and its Gambian partner, Cityscape of the Gambia, were hired for the design and supervision of the construction of an ultra-modern VVIP lounge at the Banjul International Airport. The complex will include presidential lounges, press rooms, protocol offices, security offices, and parking lots. Kabira Jame is spearheading that project. Come to the airport, already we have a VIP. But this one we are building is uh, bigger and also in terms of facilities. The facilities will be more modern. The, uh, we have a special allocation for interior design and uh, that will ensure that it uh, fits both uh, the government uh, you know, culture into consideration as well as some aspects of the OIC uh, member countries like the, you know, the Arab countries. So that, uh, I mean, that will make it look like uh, um, uh, I mean, a holistic design that will take all of that into consideration. Yeah, so it's it's bigger and in this the in terms of the flow area, but it's also going to be uh, more facilities. It's going to be um, uh, uh, you know the OIC member countries. Of course, it's it's a large gathering. They're saying it's, it's it's only next to the UN in terms of uh, numbers. So it's going to be really you know a big. Already we've seen the design and it really look, looks good. And I'm sure once it's implemented, uh, you know, people will see a very, very good structure uh, that will fit the purpose for the OIC. The interior, it will have uh, uh, a, a special seat for the president. Mm -hmm. It will also have, you know, a reserve. Uh, a reserve in the event, because it's OIC, we are expecting many delegations. So, like, if like, the person is attending to a particular uh, president or king, and there is another on arrival, yeah. how do you handle the two? So, it will have that facility. It will also have a press room. It will have uh, a, a, a facility for the ministers. It will also have facility for high delegations, and also some security consideration in terms of people coming in and out of the building. Uh, uh, detective materials for, for, for like X-ray materials and all of that. So uh, as well as a prey area, mm. you know, because OIC is, mm, you know, Islamic State. So therefore we will have to factor that also. So it will have a prayer room as well. And it will also have a link, a pavement linking the VIP to the apron.
to ensure that uh, when delegates arrive, they can walk on the red carpet from the aircraft right into the building. And that was uh, Ndekumba Demba's roundup uh, from uh, OIC Gambia Secretariat Headquarters at Bijilo. Thank you very much, Ndekumba. Now let's talk about an addiction, coffee. It's an essential part of daily life for many of us, a ritual, something we seek soon after getting out of bed. Just woken up, have a cup of coffee. Driving to work, have an earful of West Coast Radio coffee. Tired, have a cup of coffee. Meeting up with friends, have a cup of coffee. But if you're looking to cut back on the brew or quit altogether, how can you do it successfully? Well, to find out, the ABC's Loris Dixon spoke to Dr. Rebecca Haslam, postdoctoral researcher with the nutrition and research team at the University of Newcastle. Caffeine actually competes um, with adenosine, which is another um, component or molecule that's in the body, and it competes for the receptors in the brain. So adenosine actually um, attaches to these receptors, and we get these feelings of relaxation and tiredness. So when caffeine competes with adenosine, we then actually don't experience those feelings of relaxation and tiredness, but we actually feel much more alert. Uh, and that's why people get those good feelings from caffeine because they're no longer feeling tired, they're more motivated and they're more focused to do their work throughout the day. We know that coffee is a drug. What is it about coffee that is so addictive? The feelings that we get from having caffeine to begin with, I think that's what creates that dependency to begin with. But the problem is when we have that habitual intake of caffeine, it actually leads to tolerance. Um, and so when we build up that tolerance, it means the effects of the caffeine is diminished. So we just need to keep drinking more and more to get that same feeling of alertness and motivation that we get. So that's why over time it leads to that, leads to that dependency of caffeine. And it really depends on the type of bean that's used as well. And you can even go from cafe to cafe and you'll get, you know, say a, a medium latte um, at each of the cafes, but the caffeine content of each of those is going to be different. So it can be really tricky for people um, to really know how much caffeine they're having in a day. Um, and it can add up very, very quickly to sort of get, to, get them to that maximum amount where they then, you know, it starts affecting their sleep or their, their heart's beating more rapidly, you know, or they're sort of getting the jitters throughout the day. Recently in the new year, we've heard from listeners and even people in the office who have made it their mission at the start of the year to cut back on coffee or even quit it altogether. And many of the people are experiencing the same kind of withdrawals. Um, myself, for example, headaches, you know, I'll realise I haven't had one in the morning and a few hours go by and I have a headache. Um, so what kind of effects can that have on our body when we do cut back on our intake? Yeah, look, the, the most, as you've mentioned, the most common sort of side effects when we cut back um, are those withdrawal headaches. Um, so we do, because we're eliminating caffeine, we're then allowing, as I said before, that adenosine that we have to reattach to those receptors in the brain. So what that means is we're now getting um, tired and fatigued throughout the day, and they're sort of the main symptoms that you're going to experience. Others sort of report um, side effects like having um, cold or flu-like symptoms, sort of really achy throughout the day, just wanting to sleep all of the time. So you can see why then that leads people to start drinking 
coffee or caffeine again because the feelings that they get when they're trying to withdraw uh, you know, are just not pleasant. What would be some of your tips for people who are looking to cut back on their coffee intake or just quit altogether? Yeah, so look, number one tip, definitely don't go cold turkey. When we go cold turkey, that's when we're going to experience, experience the most severe side effects. Um, so you're best just to start slowly. So you can either do that by cutting back uh, on the number of coffees that you have per day. So, you know, and that limit for everyone as to what the maximum number of coffees they need per day is going to be different. So say if you're having five coffees per day, then maybe start cutting back to four or three coffees per day. Or you could look at switching to some lower caffeine alternatives. So, you know, if you're someone who drinks espresso uh, or instant coffee quite a bit, then they're sort of our higher caffeine content drinks. So you could look to switching to something like black tea uh, or green tea as well. So the caffeine content of those are a little bit lower. Uh, or you could look to just go for uh, our soda water or mineral water, um, sort of just to build that fluid intake up at the same time as you're trying to reduce the amount of caffeine that you're having per day. But also be mindful of other foods that, that have caffeine, uh, like our chocolate milks and our chocolate um, and cola energy drinks that we can have throughout the day. So being mindful of all the different sources that that caffeine could actually be coming from. And that's Dr. Rebecca Haslam, a postdoctoral researcher with the nutrition and research team at the University of Newcastle. Yes, you may cut back, even quit on the coffee you buy in the shop or supermarket, but don't you try it with the one I serve here on this program, because this one does save lives. Now here's Banas Abali. The Intergovernmental Action Group Against Money Laundering in West Africa, GABA, in collaboration with GSA, is on a three-day financial intelligence analysis training for selected FIUs from the 22nd to the 24th, February 2021, in the Gambia. The three-day capacity building training is for West African states like the Gambia who are struggling to meet international standards in tracing issues of money laundering to be able to develop qualitative operational and strategic products that will facilitate the detection of money laundering. The representative of the GABA Director General gives more detail on the reason behind the trading. GABA, as a Fatah-style regional body, has a mandate to undertake what we call the mutual evaluation of our member countries. The process is to determine how the countries are complying with this international AMSFT standard. And from that process, we are able to identify the gaps in the system, identify best practices, and then make recommendations for priority actions. And one of the area, recommendation 29, that deals with the establishment of FIU. And the core function of the FIU is to carry out the receipt, analysis, and dissemination of financial intelligence to other competent authorities. And uh, that is why we are here today to undertake a training for our FIUs that will be identified within the framework of what we call our technical assistance needs assessment. Alaji Dabo is the correspondent of the Intergovernmental Group Against Money Laundering in West Africa, GABA, in the Gambia. He explains the importance of the event and the success the Gambia realized in capturing persons involved in money laundering. Uh, the importance of uh, financial intelligence cannot be overemphasized uh, because um, when we receive reports from the reporting entities, this needs to be analyzed for the investigators to be, to be able to understand better 
Because at that point, it is a raw information. So we need to analyze to get links and put information together and develop an intelligence that they will, be, they, will, they will use to be able to further investigate a particular case. Because sometimes we have reports that are not necessarily, uh, how to call it, uh, uh, criminal cases. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a suspicion. So you have to establish that suspicion first before you able to investigate. So the analysis helps the, the investigator to, to be able to establish that actually this suspicion leads to uh, a criminal investigation. So analysis there is very important. So that is why the training tool here is very important for us to be able to better analyze and give uh, credible intelligence to the uh, investigators. A participant from Sierra Leone highlighted how the training on financial intelligence analysis will help the participants. I'm Ivan Dumbia from Sierra Leone. I think the training is timely. As the COVID-19 is going on, criminals are always trying to be ahead of us. And this training will be right in time so that we'll be able to tackle the misappropriation of funds during this pandemic and also try to stop those that want to benefit from these ill-gotten monies. Reporting for West Coast Radio, I am Bana Sabali. And bringing our time to 8.56, almost 57, and to round off the hour and lead us seamlessly to the Ibrahimas, here's Samba Jao. Sounding off this morning on a trip by Gambian politicians to Nigeria. Well, I wonder why that would be anybody's problem. But then again, when you think of it, Pasambajau isn't just anybody. The 1997 constitution was amended over 50 times to suit the interest and wishes of a single individual. And that was Yaya Jame. And that was the reason why when this change happened, People wanted a new constitution, a constitution that would be all-encompassing, one that would stand the test of time, and that one that would be in the total interest of all Gambians and not a single individual. The rejection of the draft constitution by the National Assembly, the minority in the National Assembly, actually, to be precise, the supporters of the president in the National Assembly, was done not because what was in the interest of the Gambian people, what was done to cater to the singular interest of Adam Abaro, especially his desire to be president for at least 15 years. It is quite disconcerting to read that our political leaders, some of our political leaders, who've been engaged in this so-called negotiation or whatever they call it with Jonathan, good luck Jonathan, that they have decided to fly to Nigeria to negotiate a new constitution. And the disappointment is some of these leaders were the very leaders who had a problem with the extension of economics stay in the Gambia because their arguments was that the Gambian people, our army, that we as a people should be able to take care of our own security. But we have no problem running to Nigeria to do what? I have followed the so-called negotiations and every topic or issue that was raised throughout these negotiations centered around what Adam Abaro wanted and not what the Gambian people wanted. They are not going to Nigeria to cater to the demands and the concerns of the Christian community. No, they are not. They are going to Nigeria so that they will agree to what Adam Abaro wants, which is his problem 
with the retroactive application of the time limit. One would have thought that those who make it their business to lead the people will always be guided by the principle of doing what is in the interest of the people. Why Nigeria? Why good luck, Jonathan? Are we not good enough as Gambians to sit in our National Assembly, subject a draft to committees, change what needed to be changed, and bring it to the Gambian people to decide whether they accept such a draft or not? Or are we so dependent that there is nothing that we can do for ourselves? How hypocritical is it for the same people who had a problem with the EU, Germany, UK, having an opinion about the draft constitution, telling us, no, we don't want anybody, any foreigner or any foreign powers to interfere in our domestic affairs, especially in our constitution. This is supposed to be a, a local matter. This is supposed to be a national matter. To turn around and then ask former President Jonathan of Nigeria to come to the Gambia and show us how to live together or how to agree to disagree. And now they are flying to Nigeria. Free air ticket, free hotel, free food, maybe padium. To do what? To appease Armabaro or to engage in a fruitless exercise? It is time for Gambia as a, uh, an independent country. A Gambia, a country that is endowed with tremendous amount of intellectual capacity to believe in itself and use its own resources to be able to advance our interest. I have no problem with seeking assistance from people, irrespective of their geographical location. But this is not one of them. To me, this is an insult to our intelligence, our integrity, and our sovereignty. And it looks like we are going to the same area that we wanted to run away from in building a constitution for the benefit of an individual and not for the greater good of all Gambians. Thank you very much. And that was Pasam Bajau. And the reason why we left his contribution until the very last minutes of the first hour is so that we can then move smoothly on to the Ibrahimas for first their reaction to Pastor Bajau and then your text messages, which have been flooding in as always. One of the Ibrahimas is already in the studio. The other one is obviously making his way still uh, to the studio. That's um, the government spokesman, uh, Ibrahima Sankare. So we'll um, start as always by exchanging courtesies with Ibrahim Silla, he's the uh, minister responsible for information and communication infrastructure. We are both masked up, as you can tell from the way we sound on the microphone. Good morning, Ibrahim. Good morning, Peter. 
Good morning to your listeners. Thank you for continuing to be an example. Even though we are here within the studio, away from the prying eyes of other people and news cameras, <laughs> we still have our masks on. As always. Quite unlike your boss. Well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Pastor Mbajo, you, uh, you must have caught sections of him there. Um, now accusing mm. uh, politicians, even <clears throat> opposition politicians, of going to Nigeria with the sole purpose of advancing Adama Barrow's um, bidding. Well, I disagree completely. Um, constitutional making processes in themselves actually are always uh, very complex. Um, they require a lot of uh, negotiations because there are always sticking points that actually require sometimes horse trading in uh, discussing some of these issues so that uh, some form of agreement can be reached. You may not agree on everything. Um, the government of the Gambia, I mean, actually through the Attorney General's uh, chambers, engage um, a neutral person um, in this because at some point, both in the National Assembly and also outside, there were some serious uh, disagreements on a number of issues. So it was thought necessary to engage um, a neutral person, an, an eminent uh, African you know, personality for that matter, to actually work with uh, the uh, various parties in this to reach um, uh, an amicable I mean, uh, compromise. Is on an NPP politician among the delegation uh, in, uh, in Abuja? Well, I am not sure, actually, because I don't know, I mean, uh, who is on the delegation, and um, so I cannot actually comment on that. But to say that uh, they are in Nigeria to do uh, President Barrow's bidding, I think that is not right. That is not correct. Um, we have all had our opinions on uh, the, uh, the issue of uh, the time the president's uh, term starts. And most of us, you know, base our arguments on uh, a historical fact in this country when, in fact, a court case, I mean, uh, was brought up in the, I mean, I think the, the High Court or the, the, the Court of Appeal in the case of, uh, I think, uh, a certain Mr. Savali, you know, in the aftermath of uh, the April 2000 student demonstration. And you know, the retroactivity of a constitutional clause was, was successfully challenged. Now it is baffling to see that, uh, you know, the same lawyers, I mean, uh, who actually argued on this particular point were in this commission and then they deliberately ignored public concerns on some of those things. There are also a number of issues. I mean, minority rights also you know, uh, are, are, are of concern. I mean, uh, the Christian community also raised some concerns. Well, nobody highlights places. those as much no. as they do the retroactivity yes. of um, the term. No, but they, they, for us, I mean, uh, as a government, we want a constitution that represents everybody. Um, even though, I mean, everybody's interests may be at loggerheads with others, but uh, the, 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 the important issues need to be highlighted. And I think uh, it is important that uh, those things are properly discussed 
if we are to have uh, a constitution that represents all of us. All right. At this point in the program, we'd like to welcome the other Ibrahima, whom I was sure was on his way to the studio. Uh, you haven't let me down, Ibrahima. Sankare. Good morning, Peter. Welcome, welcome back. Welcome. Good and morning. thank you very much for wearing your mask and wearing a mask properly. <laughs> you know, a lot of people wear masks. <laughs> But I think um, instead of covering their mouths and their noses, they mm. just cover their chins. Mm. Mm. Yeah? Is that how your president wears his mask? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll find out. <laughs> Good morning, listeners. Welcome to the program. Yeah. Did you catch a bit of Pasamba Jau uh, driving to the studio, what he had to say about um, uh, this delegation that has left for Abuja and how all they're going to do there is to push the agenda Yes. of um, Adam Abaro in his quest to be in office for at least, at least 15 years. Yes, I, 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 did, I did listen. What do you make of it? You know him. He's a good guy, isn't he? I, ne- I never said otherwise. <laughs> That's true. Yes, yeah, so Minister Silla is the State Minister of Information and Communication Infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Ibrahim Sankari is the government spokesperson. Yeah. So you never know what happens in this war. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could be somewhere in Washington, D.C., and privy to information that both Sila and I are not. So if he is saying that those people went there to bargain or to support uh, President Barrow's agenda, mm-hmm. well, who am I to deny that? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I remain who I am, a government spokesperson. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, to the best of my knowledge, if Ibrahim knew or I knew, you know, maybe he would have, you know, we would have said the same thing. So in the absence of evidence to the contrary, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't want to actually digress. Or, All right. Okay, you're with Coffee Time with Peter Gomez. We're live on West Coast Radio 92.1. Our time is nine minutes after nine o'clock. Our time is the time right across the country. What country? The Gambia. They call it um, mainland Africa's tiniest um, country. Well, that's, uh, well, it's a fact, isn't it? Well, it is a fact, but I don't want us to be tiny in terms of that. Let's say tiny the smiling in, cost of... Tiny in terms of size, but uh, very big in ambition. Eh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, I'm going to begin with a text message that is not um, addressed to either one of you. Uh, it's from a guy we all know, uh, uh, best known by his initials, D.A. Okay. <laughs> he says, that's D.A. Jawa, of course... Um, yeah, yes. your, your, your predecessor, the yes. man you replaced mm-hmm. at um, the Ministry of um, Information. He says, I'm quite impressed by the PS education, Mr. Louis Moses Mendy, for being so receptive and open, even when the authorities at Marina International School refused to talk to your reporter, he was willing to talk to him. He's a good example of how our public officials should comport themselves. Keep it up. Uh, P.S., uh, he says, P.S. Mendy, uh, he says, yes, public officials, even though after the change of government, mm. we all know that Adama Barrow has no problem with um, his workers, his employees, going out there and, you know, giving interviews. We still face the problem of reticent public officials. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, the uh, general orders uh, that actually govern the conduct of uh, civil servants. Um, what do they say? Specifically. Specifically yes. says that, uh, you know, before you talk to the media, you know, you have to get permission uh, 
from uh, the head of the civil service. But uh, that's the secretary general. That's the secretary general. Oh dear, oh dear. You know, so he, I does, mean, he, uh, he doesn't give media interviews. So obviously, <laughs> he wouldn't well, uh, uh, encourage anybody to go to the media and give interviews. Exactly. I mean, a lot of civil servants are guided by this, uh, but uh, some reforms are going on. Um, I don't know whether this particular issue is being looked at, but I know that uh, under the... Uh, we'll find out if, it's, if, if this particular issue is not being looked at. Yes. Well, you try and make sure it is looked at. Yeah, I mean, uh, because uh, now, I mean, these things are overtaken by, by events and circumstances. I mean, la right now we have deployed communications officers of, um, you know, to, to all the ministries. And their job they don't is, always have all the information. Yes, yes. I mean, uh, we, we have had these complaints. Mm -hmm. uh, their job is basically to, um, I mean, uh, talk to the media and also give out public information. Um, and also because now we have uh, already uh, gone too far with uh, the National Assembly for the uh, implementation of uh, the uh, information um, how do you call it? Uh, access to information. Access to information bill. And when that comes, uh, a lot of uh, things would have to change because it means that uh, public information that is not uh, actually seen as a, I mean, a security threat will have to be, you know, that, you know given out. Um, speaking or, of which, yes. speaking of which, I have a reaction from, I have a text from, uh, from Germany. Let me see. Yeah. It says, Peter, a story appeared in the point with regard to the select committee of the National Assembly visiting, this, uh, visiting security installations in URR, Jangjangbure prison, etc. Lots of concerns were raised by our security officers about the negligence of their welfare, transport, logistics, and mobility, lack of adequate equipment, etc., can your two Ibrahimas, now you are my two Ibrahimas, tell us how does the government assure its citizenry of security when our security men are unfed, working in a deplorable environment with no health care support, no usable transportation, etc., whilst they, ministers and political advisors to borrow in brackets, are allocated with two security guards oddly included. Pathetic. How do you respond to that? Well, um, I'm happy that uh, the National Assembly uh, members themselves are on this tour to uh, look at uh, the situation of uh, the country's security facilities and things that should have been provided but are not there, according to them. I mean, it is the same National Assembly that costs all the time the budget of the defense. And any time Gambia government comes up with a budget that will cater for some of these complaints that our security forces are talking about, these same National Assembly members are the ones who will cut the budget of uh, the, the, the security forces and the Ministry of Defense. So you're saying so, their I actions mean, have, come back, have come back to haunt them? Yeah, I'm happy that they, they, they have gone round and they have seen these things and that, you know, government security and defense anywhere in the world is not cheap. Mm. So you cannot have people sitting in the comfort of the National Assembly without, less inf I mean, without uh, inf the right information, just cut budgets, without, you know, I mean, uh, looking at the implications. So now they are going round. I hope in the 2022 budget 
they will I mean, accept that some of these things are necessary. Secondly, since this government came to office, we have been under constant pressure not only to cut the defense budget, but to stop even recruiting. So, I mean, uh, the, 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 the issues are really serious. We have, I mean, uh, inherited these things. We wanted to correct them. But, yeah, but you know, there are a lot of obstacles on the way. Peter, no, let us let us. Who's behind thing. the suspension of new, recru new recruits? Well, I mean... Uh, it's not the National Assembly. It's not the National Assembly, yeah, so but I'm let's, telling let's, you let's, that... Let's put blame the, the, where it... The, the, you know, I mean, it, the problems are, are, are on different fronts. If, you know, we want to deal with Yeah, but with you can't blame things. the National Assembly no, I'm not for blaming the moratorium the National Assembly. on new, new intake. No, I'm not blaming them for the moratorium. I'm saying that uh, the problems are not on one front. But specifically, if we prepare a budget that is meant to take care of our men and women in uniform that are out there taking care of our security, I think that should be, that should be taken seriously. Secondly, I have never seen this anywhere in the world where, I mean, uh, National Assembly members that are in charge of intelligence and defense of a country, because all throughout the world, National Assemblies work with governments on intelligence and defense. But I've never seen this anywhere where, I mean, uh, members of parliament go with the media and take sensitive installations in the full, I mean, for what? These are places that are meant to be kept secret. There are certain places in this, in, I mean, in the world where, in fact, you are not allowed to take pictures of buildings. Before you do, you have to get permission. But here we are, I have seen people moving with cameras inside, not only the prison, but also, I mean, in sensitive military, I mean, camps. This is not right, and I think, you know, we have to address this. Yeah, Alan Peter, there I, I, I jump in, um, particularly uh, the, sensitivity, the sensitivity of the, the nature of some of these uh, installations or places. Uh, in some jurisdictions, uh, you can be a journalist, a non-Gambian journalist, for instance, practicing journalism in the Gambia. For instance, I could be a French citizen or an Israeli citizen, yeah, uh, and I'm being a journalist. Uh, in, in, in other jurisdictions, non-citizens are not actually allowed access to those kind of facilities. And I think uh, uh, the National Assembly is aware of this situation. Uh, it has been brought to their notice, and I, I, I think later today uh, I am expecting that either the National Assembly will come up with a press release or the Gambia government working with the National Assembly. Apologetic press release from the National Assembly? I, 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 did, I didn't say that. I'm asking. No, I didn't say that. I am asking. I don't know. Okay. But I'm just telling you, they have, uh, they have, uh, they, they're looking at the article, the, this particular article, and particularly the situation the minister, you know, elucidated, uh, going into places that normally are actually off limits to, 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 to the wall. Uh, so so I, I wouldn't want to discuss that any further. Or preempt uh, anything. Yeah, pending the outcome of the, of the discussions uh, on, on, on the foot. All right, we look forward to that. And uh, while we are on the issue of security, uh, the ministry is, uh, that is the defense ministry, is embarking on the drafting of the first ever national defense policy for the Gambia since independence. The defense policy will be the most important document that will guide this ministry in its mandate to uh, more effectively function as an oversight body to the Gambia Armed Forces to ensure full civilian control over the armed forces as enshrined in the security sector reform recommendation. As a result of this, the drafting committee has been formally identified 
to work on this document. In this regard, the Defense Ministry is inviting um, special people to the inauguration of the National Defense Policy Drafting Committee scheduled for tomorrow, the 24th of February 2021 at 10 a.m. at the Dauda Keraba Jawara International Conference Center in uh, Bijilo. So, uh, finally, a defense policy. When will we have a foreign policy? <laughs> you don't have? Well, I mean, uh, I've, never heard, I've never heard anybody discuss a foreign policy for the Gambia. Never. Well, governance is a continuous process. I think, uh, you know, these things uh, will be taken Do we have care a foreign of. policy? Well, well, I know that uh, we had a foreign policy had from 1976 to 1992, to 19, no, 1993. Um, someone then, gave me this document. And then Yaya came and just everything. You yeah, know, out. a very comprehensive uh, strategy, actually, mm. um, that actually defined what uh, the Gambia's foreign policy you know, was pegged on the non-aligned yeah. member country. I mean, uh, always, I mean, uh, in the So, Sadawda Kairaba Jawara, the late, always had a foreign policy. Yaya Jamin apparently never had one, and Adam Abaro is here to come up with we, one, we, right? We, we, we will work on one if we don't have. I mean, I, I am not aware Silla, of it. do you have one? No, I said I am not aware of it, yeah. but if it is not there, I'm sure the Ministry of Foreign Affairs probably is working on one, because these are policy initiatives that will make sure that, I mean, uh, we have a lot of thinking into it and then, you know, bring it to cabinet. And then from there, it can be yeah. made a policy. A Ministry of Foreign Affairs that only communicates through press releases. Uh, <laughs> good morning, Peter. Can you please ask Ibrahim Silla mm -hmm. about the electricity project in Nyofele village, Combo South? Poles were erected with wires for almost a year, but still no further action. When would our hopes come to reality with regard to electricity. Please give us an update. Over to you. Well, Nani Juara, if you are listening, please send me a text on uh, the update on the electricity situation in Nyofele. Mm -hmm. yes. Okay. Um, good morning, Uncle Peter. Can you please ask the two Ibrahimas individually whether since their appointments they have ever failed to agree with the president on any policy decision he makes? If not, <laughs> then that's not normal because sometimes even our tooth or our teeth clash with our tongue. Uh, it can't be possible, according to the uh, texter, that people working together always agree on everything. I've always noticed in your program that the two of them always seem to back the president on any matter raised. Not even once did they disagree with him. How is that possible? Come on, gentlemen. How is that? Have you ever disagreed with uh, Adam Obaro on anything? Well, I mean, Especially is, pertaining uh... to policy. That is uh, um, a matter that is between uh, me and the president. I mean, whatever I discuss with the president is privileged information, and I'm not going out to, you know, say anything about that. Mr. Sankare? Yeah, without uh, going into any <clears throat> um, um, particular issue, I would want to suggest that uh, the texter actually ended up answering the texter's own question. Um, but then, uh, uh, how? By, 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 by referencing Bunyala Menyadika. Bunyala Menyadika, and then in the, what, is the, what is the last sentence? Uh, that, where, where is it? Now you'll have, you know, I, I, you know, I've put it aside. 
<laughs> Look at the last sentence. The last sentence is that it's, it's just not possible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's impossible. It's called, in, 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 logic, in logical reasoning, it's called what? Syllogistic. Okay. Anyway, but in being very generous to the text, uh, let me just say that uh, the, 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 the insinuation that uh, we always back him, we never apparently disagree with him, uh, I think uh, it's misplaced because that would suggest that uh, Adam Abaro operates a government that is monolithic, that uh, nobody thinks out of the box, that we are all, you know, just, uh, just a bunch of, you know, yes men and yes women. Yeah, but even if that were to happen, I mean, uh, Adam, Abaro, Adam Abaro may not be responsible for it. It could just be, you know, your own states of mind. But that's what I'm saying. And I'm saying that is, that is not true, really. I mean, Peter, uh, how can you, even, in, even at home, you know, our own moms and dads, we, we disagree with them. You know, so, I, I can't, so, ever, so, I can't so, ever remember disagreeing with my mother. Oh, really? You know, on every issue? Oh, no. About, sco- about school, going to school, she, you know, going to a... She never gave me a choice. <laughs> when I didn't want to go to school, she made sure I went to school. And then, then like the French philosopher Rousseau, there was no democracy yeah, at home. Not with, not with that woman. <laughs> bless, bless her. <laughs> uh, let, let's move on. Uh, regarding Daily Observer Saga, good morning, Peter. This is a follow-up uh, to the response uh, of Mr. Silla's uh, last week on your program. The decision was for the property of the 40 f- forfeited, uh, for the property to be forfeited to the state. I believe the state has a responsibility in taking ownership uh, through Moisi to avoid loss of jobs, killing the ambition of lots of the aspiring young journalists. After years of negligence by GRA and years of administrative blunder, by the previous management of Observer, the ordinary staff should not be victimized for such as we are always being deducted from our salaries uh, for VAT, obviously uh, a victim of uh, the closure of um, obs- the Observer. Observer. But mm. the point there is, mm. if the paper has been forfeited to the state, mm. why is the government, which is supposed to create jobs, mm. now creating more unemployment by just pushing everybody out onto the streets, jobless. Well, uh, I know what happened to the Daily Observer was uh, quite unfortunate because for years, I mean, uh, it was seen as uh, the personal property of the former president. They were not tax compliant. They were not paying taxes. But Daily Observer, now, st- Daily Observer started out as an independent I mean, paper. Paper, yes. yes. When, when, when the ownership changed. Um, now, when this new government came, of course, uh, due process was followed, and uh, the commission investigated uh, the affairs of uh, the paper. Now, um, it was also at um, the same juncture to believe that uh, the number of staff that were there, if we were to absorb them at the information department, that would have been impossible because uh, you would not be able to you know, actually retain all those people. You have the option you know. of GRTS, radio and television, and also, I mean, but now you are, also now, depend on now you are hiring. You are hiring new people for communications officers. You could have looked at the observer staff as a first option. Yeah, but that is the ideal. I mean, uh, situation if we, I mean, uh, we are given the option. 
I mean, uh, because uh, the employment into, say, the information department has to go through the Public Service Commission, and the rules are that you have to publicly apply, I mean, uh, advertise for these positions. Um, even now, we have some few vacancies. We have not had the choice of having to just go and then directly put people there. We, we are told that, you know, everything should be advertised and that, you know, the right people be employed in the civil service. The, 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 the GRTS also the same thing. I mean, uh, when I came in, we, we had a lot of people on uh, internship. And the board insisted that all positions should be internally advertised so that those who have the capacity be retained. Those who don't really, we got rid of them. And the same thing, in fact, now it is so difficult. You, you cannot even internally advertise. You have to advertise in the papers, I think, for three weeks or for one month. And then, you know, you, you have a, a recruitment committee that will sit on this and then, you know, employ the people. I wonder if those daily observer journalists actually were interested in working with either the GRTS or the government. We had, you know, advertised all these things, and uh, I don't know where they were. I mean, they could have easily, I mean, uh, I mean, applied for these jobs, and then, you know, if they got the right qualifications and experience, you know, they would get the job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say exactly uh, the, the latter part of what the minister said, uh, that uh, it, is, it is also good to encourage uh, Gambians to, to learn to be occupationally mobile. Um, you could be a journalist. Occupational mobility is being versatile. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to yeah, explain. Well, it's okay if people, say, people say whenever you are on air, they have to rush to their dictionaries and, you know, be looking. Uh, this is standard uh, English, Peter. <laughs> occupational mobility. <laughs> I, I, you said mobility. I said to be occupationally mobile. Mm -hmm. Mobile is a simple English word. Mm -hmm. Occupational is what you do for okay, your job, for your living. Move, yeah. Peter Gomez was a school teacher. You transition from being a school teacher to going into the studios of Radio yeah. Gambia. My, you, life, my life being laid bare on my program. Uh, precisely. <laughs> well, so now, if. I were a journalist with the Daily Observer, which I, which Ibrahim Sankare was, one of the first people who actually opened the Daily Observer newspaper. You know, did that, did, did, did leaving the Observer stop my career? No, because I was determined to be a journalist all my life. So I, I moved on from one place to another. And that's, that's what life is. In other words, I'm just trying to encourage the texter and those people who fell victim that they were actually left out after the paper was shut down, that uh, there, there is still room for, adva for, for advancement, that they could still pursue their journalistic dreams if that's what their desires are. Absolutely. You know? Half past nine is our time, meaning we have only 30 minutes to uh, the end of the program. It's Coffee Time with Peter Gomez. We're live on West Coast Radio 92.1, courtesy of um, OIC Gambia and Banjul Shipyard Company Limited. Next text message. Good morning. I want to ask Mr. Silla whether he has made inquiries about the Yuna Maria Mokunda incomplete road. The last time he promised to ask those responsible and uh, will get back to us with an answer. Over to you. Well, I unfortunately did not ask. Um, uh, to be honest, I did not know this road until, you know, it came up on this program. Why did you promise <laughs> to find out and then come back to that? It's been three weeks three now weeks, since, yes, since yeah. that happened. Yeah. From here, I will definitely mm. call the permanent secretary to find out. Mm. I know Yuna very well. I mean, it's not far from Jambur, between Jambur and Burfut. Mm. Uh, but I did not know that there is a road from Sibek. I think they said last time, yeah. Lincoln. Uh, so you, so you, rem you remember that? I remember. Yeah, I remember very good. Very well, yes. uh, good morning, Uncle Peter. This is somebody who knows that uh, the GPA boss listens to this program religiously. 
Uh, good morning, Uncle Peter. Please ask the MD of GPA why they can't fuel the ferries at night. It's very disgusting that almost on a regular basis during the day, passengers are forced to wait and wait for hours at the terminal because ferries are being fueled. This is um, from Mr. Ba. Would be nice, uh, you know, uh, for them to save um, uh, passengers' time by making sure that um, they are not made to wait any longer because of fuel. Sorry, uh, a ferry has to be uh, refueled. So, jobs. Yeah, you haven't been on the program for quite a while. Uh, send me a text message if you like, and I uh, will put you on here. Or just uh, phone straight through, and we'll put you on. Uh, good morning, please. My child was knocked down by a taxi on his way to school. I reported to mobile. My statement was obtained. I gave him the taxi number. Now, for over three weeks, anytime I call the police, they tell me that they have, they have not seen the driver yet. Really? I'm fed up. Now, now I am looking for the uh, driver. And, um, yeah, I have a text message now, a new text covering that. I am looking for the driver and shall take care of my own problem uh, with the driver, even if it means fighting with him. Anything I can get out of it is okay with me. My problem is I shall do it my way now. This is from Mr. Grant. <laughs> there are angry people out there, you know. So, yes, what, what advice do you have? No, I would advise him not to fight. No, Peter. No, seriously. Seriously. Well, it's good to have humor. This is what it's called. It's called journalistic humor. It's not a, it's not a big word. Well, maybe it's the poverty that's, that's just driving people, you know, no, no, to well, become angrier. But, but you have actually prepared the driver. You know, to be to be, <laughs> to be ready for, for 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 a duel. So the driver might be having a very a very dangerous weapon in the car now that you've notified him <laughs> that he's been hunted. So I would I would advise Mr. Mr. Grant to to be patient. I'm sure the police would would, would hear this uh, complaint, and I'm sure they would uh, do what is right to to avoid any potential. And if he's not careful, Mamur will send police officers to go look after him. <laughs> the driver. Look no. Look Look for Mr. Grant himself <laughs> no, for, for, for threatening somebody. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, I've just received uh, this text message from uh, the MD of uh, Nawek, Nani yeah. Jawara. He said, Good morning, Honorable. We have just received the pipes for the Nyofele Gunjur link yesterday, ah. and inshallah, works will commence this week. Thanks. Okay, fantastic. Finally, something is going to happen. Yes, yeah. it pays to complain on this program. <laughs> it pays even more to advertise yeah. on this program. Well, I heard seven you this eight, morning seven advertising eight seven, yourself. 787-0107. Talk to Mr. Ibrahim. Uh, no, no, it's not everybody who's called Ibrahim. <laughs> He's called Jibril Jassi. Jibril Jassi. Yeah, not, not Ibrahim Jassi. Uh, uh, hello, Uncle Peter. Please help me extend this issue to the two state ministers. Are you a state minister now, Sankara? No, I'm not. Okay. To one state minister, one government spokesman. Uh, we had been fooled by ICC, International Insurance Company. After saving good sums of money with them, we still can't recover our monies. Their offices are all shut, and we don't know where to uh, make inquiries. So help us inform your honorable guests, because we expect the government's immediate intervention. This is from uh, Jane Sar a teacher at Brikama. 
Well, um, I've never heard about this uh, ICC insurance company. IIC. IIC. International okay. Insurance Company. Okay. I mean, I've never heard about them, and uh, really it's quite unfortunate what happened to them, if it is true. Um, I know in the First Republic, uh, during Sadado's time, they used to have this insurance complaint board under the, um, I think, uh, the Gambian National Insurance GNIC? Yeah, I German think. National Insurance Company. Yeah, they, you know, so. I think they now have um, uh, association yes. of insurance companies of companies the Gambia. Of the yeah, Gambia. Yeah. Yes. Um, but if, if it is that serious, I think probably then they can also inform the police mm. um, to look at uh, whether they are defrauded or not. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm, mm. Okay. Sorry. Talking about insurance yes. companies, mm. uh, one thing that um, has always actually marveled me. Mm is uh, the activities of insurance companies in the Gambia. Uh, for instance, Peter, mm. the, 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 the guy, the parent who just complained about a uh, taxi driver mm. hitting uh, the, the son. Mm. Uh, in most places, in, 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 in some instances, the, the child even dies mm. or the, the, the victim mm. dies, and then people buy colonel, mm. they take it to the other family, and then the agreed family, and they just maslahai. Mm. So what is the essence of the insurance premiums that the, that the, that the motorist was paying, the, the liability? Mm. So the liability shifts to mm. actually the, 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 the victim, you know. So you, you hit somebody's child, the person dies, and the car was insured, and just by buying colonels less than $250, the, the case is over. Insurance company just keeps quiet. I mean, this, mm. uh, I, I mean, I think ins insurance companies also, you know, if, if they have a, a monitoring group like the minister said during mm. the other days, if they don't, I think they need to. Mm. Uh, I work for the government, but uh, this is my own honest opinion. I, I, I think uh, the, the, the insurance companies in this, in this country, mm. uh, they, they, they need to be regulated more. Mm. Yes, because the accidents in this country mm. the, could, could, could be scaled down okay. if the insurance companies we are working with the police to make sure that drivers who are faulty are actually uh, brought to book and, and, and they face the consequences. Their, their insurance points go up. I think that is the only way, you know, because laws are meant to be respected. I'm Absolutely. sure there are laws, you know, governing insurance. I'll tell you what we can do. We, we can get um, the head of prime insurance, yes. a sponsor of one of our uh, programs here, the business show every Wednesday. We'll get uh, Mr. Dowda Saj or any member of... Uh, his senior management team to talk about why people, you know, uh, uh, need to uh, insure. Okay, we've been too busy uh, dealing with those issues. Uh, the managing director of uh, GPA, who was asked to call, was calling, but uh, we were not uh, paying attention to the telephone line. Jobs, call again. We'll put you on 446-1193. Not on the phone line, not on the uh, mobile phone, the, the fixed line. 446-1193, and uh, we'll put you on air. In the meantime... Hi, Peter. Good morning. My questions to the two Ibrahimas is about the land issue, the land problem between Basuri and Duasu. Can the government intervene to solve these, problem, these problems quickly? Because I can see more anger among the youths uh, in the two villages before it is too late. It's me, Sidiko uh, Suno. Yeah, Basuri and Duasu, one of the uh, newspaper, newspapers front pages, you know, had the headline. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Since it, uh, it is a police matter now, mm -hmm. I don't want to comment on this particular case. But I also know that uh, there are a lot of issues in many settlements in Combos. 
and uh, the Ministry of Local Government or Regional Government actually is coming up uh, with a policy uh, to regulate you know, land use and also the estate agents in, in the country. And uh, we are also working as a government to have a, a cadastral digital mapping system mm. of uh, all the lands in the Gambia. So that will help actually minimize some of these problems. But I think uh, also we should also take responsibility mm. as a people that uh, sometimes, let, you let know. Let me just quickly remind Oz Jabate again that uh, the studio number is 446-1193. Mm. 446-1193. He's just been trying uh, the uh, mobile phone, unless maybe uh, Gamtel has a problem, which doesn't seem to be the problem because it looks like the phone is on. Hello, good morning. Good morning, Peter. Hey, Jobs. You should, you should know this telephone line. I mean, we, we talk here almost every other day. It's been a while, though. You've abandoned me. Uh, not quite. Uh, yeah, but at least some abandonment has taken place. Not quite entirely, but some abandonment. <laughs> Listen, yes, why can't you get your ferries people to do the refueling in the dead of the night when everybody's asleep and uh, the fed? The ferries are not operational, rather than wait until people are there ready to take the first ferry, and then they have to wait hours um, just when they are about to board for the ferries to be refueled. That seems to be the complaint from the texter. Yes, it's a genuine concern. We will take note of it and try to improve on our systems. But the main reason for fueling during the daytime is for reasons of accounting for the quality of the fuel, and the need to mobilize all the parties that are involved to witness the fueling. Uh, in terms of the security, our staff and the controllers, and also the need uh, to have more accountability in the fuel that is supplied. But uh, it's a genuine control. We look into it and improve on that arena. The text uh, makes it appear as if, um, you know, I mean, fueling takes hours and hours and hours, like an aircraft is being fueled. I mean, what's the capacity of um, your, your ferry or ferries? Well, they have four bunker tanks on each ferry, and any time uh, there's a supply, uh, being given uh, is 10,000 liters of oil is supplied. Oh. So it takes uh, some time to shift from one bunker to the other. And mm -hmm. also, mainly the, the, the fuel quality is interested to what is supplied. That's, that's one of the main reasons why it is done during daylight hours. Mm -hmm. And in terms of uh, technical mishaps with the ferries, that's not happened for a while now, or has it? Uh, touch wood, and thankfully, we are trying to improve on the technical suitability of the ferries because the problem that was apparent was the lander. And... Uh, once that is fixed, the other small, smaller problems start bubbling up, and uh, that's the situation we are faced with, and also including the dredging. But uh, we are trying to grapple with the issues and uh, improve the service. Mm. And how is it going with um, uh, work on the new container depot, if that's what it's called? Well, 80% uh, of the properties within the contiguous zone have been uh, acquired, and the demolition exercise has started, I think, uh, sometime last week. Uh, with a view to having the rest of the occupants vacated, and then the whole area will be available for the construction to start in and it's probably the second half of this year. Mm. And for those of us who are not au fait with the story, we just hear that uh, a property has been secured on, what, lease basis. Where exactly is this property? Um, it's a private property at the Bone Road, where we intend to relocate some of the activity that is causing a lot of congestion within the port. That is to do with the unstuffing and uh, of, of uh, transit containers and used vehicles that are mostly occupying a lot of space within the yard. And this has a toll on the equipment. Now, uh, the, the idea is to relocate the activity such that even by the time the construction work starts for the new jetty expansion and the container terminal, the contractors are going to come with a lot of rolling equipment and it will need, need areas to be marshaled close to the construction site. So these are the reasons why we are relocating. 
Did you say private property, property, you know, along the Bond Road? Was yes, that area yeah, supposed to be sold to anybody in the first place? I thought that was uh, supposed to be some uh, natu natural uh, disaster uh, buffer. Well, uh, the area, there's a Ramsa area, which is uh, classified as a World Heritage Site. Uh, those are not the areas that have been touched. But the, the bond folder itself, this is where I mean, private occupants have been allocated, and uh, these are leased properties. But the area is unable to our use because it's uh, compacted and it's fence height is to the requirement of customs. And uh, the idea is naturally to move away all human interface from the main port area. When we were doing a story on, uh, you know, what are some of the causes of, um, you know, the um, high cost of living in this, in this country, I mean, clearing agents, for instance, were blaming uh, the ports for uh, higher new charges. I mean, what are you people charging clearing agents and uh, importers for? Well, maybe uh, it's a misstatement, but as far as we are concerned, we have a tariff which is published, and the last time the tariff was uh, was in 2013, when actually there was 55% reduction in the show handling charges. So since then, uh, we have not touched the, the, the tariff, as it were. Maybe it's to do with charges that are related to the port business, but not particularly the GPA levy in charges. Osjabate, thank you very much. You always have an answer for whatever question uh, comes up. Well done. Thank you, Peter. Have a very good day. Yeah, if everybody was like him, mm. nobody would be complaining about uh, information uh, not, um, you know, being given. Uh, good morning, uh, the two Ibrahimas. Any news about the three tons of cocaine? Yeah, the public is keeping a close eye on uh, these three tons, and we will insist. Yes. If, if the NEA, NDLEAG, yes. it is so difficult to say, the National yeah. Drug Law Enforcement yeah, Agency. So uh, if they announce, you know, three tons at the beginning, mm. it has to be three tons all the way. Oh, right, well, yeah. So, so what do you know about the cocaine case? Now, apart from the last information that uh, we gave here, um, mm. I don't know. I mean, uh, anything about it yet. Mm. Uh, Sankara, Unless Peter, if is cocaine subject to the law of diminishing returns? <laughs> because, because you're saying it was three tons, yes. <laughs> and you hope it's going to be three tons. Yes. Well, that suggests that uh, cocaine is subject to the no, law jamba, of <laughs> jamba is jamba. Oh, jamba. Weed. Okay, yeah, okay. weed. Okay. If it was, if it, okay. By, by uh, the way, let, let me just say very quickly, I'm, I'm not qualified. In this, but I'm just assuming that if it was wet at the time of capture, after a few weeks, you know, um, you know, I mean, the weight should go down. Well, I don't know the condition under which it was found, anyway. So, uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> hi, Peter. I personally thank Ibrahim Asila uh, for his punctuality. He's always on time. <laughs> How can this texter be sure? Huh? Maybe, maybe when I say Ibrahima is waiting quietly in the corner, actually he doesn't even exist at the time. <laughs> the texter is being, he is being pretentious. <laughs> he has seven senses. <laughs> Hello, Uncle Peter. Uh, good morning. Uh, tell the minister that yesterday I was at the Serakunda General Hospital and it was really horrible. We had to sit for hours waiting for a particular health officer, and all the medicines prescribed for me, uh, not a single one was available, and I had to buy all these uh, for nothing less than $1,800 at the pharmacy. Only in the Gambia, patients wait for doctors despite their situation. 
where is our health sector heading? I know you're not the health minister, but mm. where is our health sector heading? Well, I know that uh, the health sector is heading to the right direction. I mean, uh, maybe the, the texter is not aware that uh, in Europe or uh, in America, sometimes you can wait for an operation for more than a, a year. I mean, uh, you are put on a waiting list, and, um, you know, unless, you know, you, you, the, the space is there, you would not be able to get that treatment. Sometimes under, you know, certain emergencies, yes. I mean, uh, here, no matter your condition, you walk into a health facility, and, uh, yes, sometimes, you know, the ratio uh, of doctor to patient is very high, is indeed very, very, very high, and that work pressure could sometimes, you know, lead to some of these delays because some of these doctors also work in different, you know, places, you know, especially when it is uh, uh, one of those... Well, now uh, they are going to be paid very well if they go into government because we hear allowances alone would be around 115,000 every month. But you'll be surprised that it is the same allowances that are paid to doctors in the hospitals. I mean, uh, most of those doctors that actually Those were doctors moved, are getting those, these, yes, these yes, new right now. Yes, yes, right now. Yes, right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, in fact, uh, the people who actually... They should just, stop from going, going around, you know. No, I mean, in fact, the people who got this, uh, I mean, uh, increase in allowances were actually working in the hospitals, and then they were moved. So when they, when they were moved to the main ministry, they got, a pay, I mean, uh, uh, lesser pay. I mean, and as a result, uh, you know, it was thought necessary to actually make But you were it. saying that even with the new allowances, they would... No, 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 now around. it's the same. It's the same now. I mean, uh, okay. I mean uh, we... But, you know, it, it, yeah, it, but is, it is unfortunate that uh, the experience that this particular person went through... Particularly with regard to drug supply. I mean, why yes. would a hospital have a pharmacy that cannot uh, dispense drugs? Yeah, um, the last time I had a discussion with the health minister, he told me that they have enough of stock of a lot of, uh, you know, I mean, uh, drugs. Let them release them to the, to the pharmacies. Yeah, I mean... Um, What's the point of having drugs only to be stashed away in some, uh, you know... Well, store? I don't know the procedure of allocation, but I, you know, at some point, I think last year, we, we started, I mean, uh, some initiative with them as a ministry to, you know, where they will have a kind of a portal that will look at the stock of each of the, you know, facilities. And when you are down on some of the drugs, you know, the uh, people at the national drugstore should definitely know, and then you should be supplied. So those administrative issues are being resolved. But, um, you know, it is also, it could be also that uh, the drugs that were prescribed for him were not available in the store entirely. So he had to go and buy. And, you know, Peter, in this country, let us admit that uh, health care is heavily subsidized by the state. In fact, compared to a number of countries, we are a very poor country, yes, but if you look at uh, what we pay and compare that to, I mean, uh, other countries, even this, in, in the sub-region here, you see that ours is far cheaper. Yeah, and that is why too, we have some of the why, worst salaries in, uh, in, in the, in the, in the sub-region. Yes, and that is why we see a lot of our health facilities, you know, overcrowded with uh, sometimes people from the region. All right, let's go to uh, your text messages again. Uh, good morning, Sapi. Armed robbers, sorry, armed robbers carjacked a business in Sukuta on Saturday night, 10.30 p.m., shot the car, broke into the car, took $6.5 million after beating up the driver till he fainted. This is supposed to be a national security worry and taken up by the NIA. All the government cares about is um, ECOMIG protecting the president while the average Gambian isn't safe.
that's, that's not the work of the NIA. The NIA is to gather human intelligence. Uh, this is a, so whose work is this? This is uh, the anti-crime unit. Uh, some the pe- police? The police. Okay. Some people are at the anti-crime unit as we speak. Some blood cartridges have been received and recovered from the scene, and the investigations are ongoing. Oh, you're telling us what is being done about this particular case? Yes. Okay. Okay. Good morning, guys. I'm continually baffled by the two EBs for defending everything Baro and the government, uh, even against uh, their own conviction and the interest of our country. So disappointing. Somebody is signing off as Bereto. Okay. Uh, P- Peter, let me just say this for the records. Mm-hmm. The role of the information minister and a government spokesperson mm-hmm. is to come and clarify to the public what government is doing. Mm-hmm. We are not here to sugarcoat anybody's ego here. And we are not here to, I mean, uh, say things that we are not sure of. If people think that we are coming here to criticize our own government, then that is, I mean, uh, impossible. I am not coming here to, you know, criticize you know, my own government. But I will acknowledge mistakes that, you know, we, we do as part of our work. I will acknowledge that we have, you know, challenges. I will acknowledge that we have problems. But I'm not going to sit here to criticize what my own government is doing because I'm part of that, you know, issues. I'm part of those issues that are being discussed here. Mm. People have to understand that those, some of these people who, in fact, are very political in nature, will be the very first ones who will go and not only you know, defend their own political parties, but even insult those people who are coming up with genuine criticisms of their parties. So let them take care of their own problems. This country belongs to all of us. We are here for everybody. And if they think that you know, we are coming here to criticize our own government, then they will be daydreaming because we are not going to do that. But we will acknowledge our cons- you know, the, the, the challenges. We will acknowledge the problems that we have as a country, as a government. And we will tell the people what we are doing to resolve those problems and challenges. All right, Peter, Senegalese soldiers are in every military camp in the Gambia. Are they not foreigners? This is in reaction to your suggestion that... Uh, by filming sensitive um, security installations and sharing it with the world, uh, we are exposing ourselves to foreigners. So this guy is saying, but hey, wait a minute, Senegalese soldiers are, as we speak, in every damn military camp in the Gambia. No. Are they, those Senegalese soldiers, I'm not, aware, not foreigners? I'm not aware of any foreign I mean, uh, military station in the Gambia I mean, uh, in the camps. Mm. I mean, uh, yes, if they are here to train our people, I mean, uh, they can be at the training camps. Mm. Um, I know that the economic camp is in Bakau, opposite the Bakau uh, military barracks. I know that they have their own checkpoints in some places like in Fonyi. Mm. Uh, but I'm not aware that uh, they see at the same camp and facilities with our military in the same camp. Mm, on the same if, if, on, if he is aware, fine. I mean, I can find this from the Ministry of Defense mm. to shed light on, the, on, on right. the matter. Incidentally, on the same issue, Madi Jobate are texting in saying the necessary issue that your two Ibrahimas need to talk about is the botched security sector reform thanks to the lackluster attitude of this government. The military leaders should know which part of their installations are off-limits, hence stop journalists from entering. That's not for NAMS uh, to uh, decide unless if the CDS and his chiefs had provided such information to NAMS before they embarked on their tour. So let your Ibrahimas speak to the real issues and stop engaging in scaremongering. What must be addressed is the lack of security sector reform 
which is what will address those poor conditions in the military. It's four years now, yet there has been no meaningful reform, and we know that a huge chunk of our budget goes to defense, and the fact is the defense budget is unsustainable because it is too much. <laughs> Quite a mouthful, eh? Well, well I mean, uh, as you always know, Mahdi will bring in this long, 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 long texts with very little meaning in so many things because he does very, not very have the right meaning. information. Well, I mean, uh, you, you see... You were crying about um, a small budget for the defense. He's saying we're giving them far too much. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, because he is not aware of uh, the real information and the issues, I mean, uh, that uh, the Ministry of Defense is, is, is grappling with. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's easier to come <laughs> and, 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 and write this fabulous language about things that mm -hmm. uh, you have very little knowledge about. Well, but the Defense Minister has just texted to say that uh, the information that uh, the economic is present in our military barracks is completely false. Ah, okay, completely false. We yes. don't have economic in our military barracks. You just see them roaming around, just <laughs> making their presence felt. Nous sommes toujours là. We're still around. Okay. Uh, even at the White House, aides will disagree with the president. Please let them be frank, because it's normal in life. Do you agree? <laughs> but, Peter, that is, this is basically what we said, yes. that, that the, the government in place is not a monolith. We don't all think like the same. Exactly. You know, we don't worship Adam Abaro like some, 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 mm. some, 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 what, some deity, mm. some, some god. Mm. You know, he is a normal human being, mm. an ordinary human being. Mm. So why would we actually agree entirely with everything? That's what I said. Mm. It's, yes. it's not a monolith. And on the insurance uh, issue about that, I, I see Peter let him lodge his complaint with the Central Bank Insurance uh, Commissioner. And then the texter goes on to say, let government engage people like me to solve these insurance problems. So apparently, mm -hmm. uh, the Central Bank is where anybody with insurance okay. issues... Okay. Uh, they, apparently, there is, a cent there is an insurance commissioner, commissioner okay. at the, at the yeah. Central Bank. Did you know that before? No, I did not, but I remember... You know, in the First Republic. Gentlemen, two minutes. Yeah, we up. used to have. Now, yes, now we are hemmed in, as I always say, mm. uh, by Gaipa. What would yeah. you like to say um, uh, as your last words on the program this week? Oh, this week? Yeah. Well, mm, I would implore Gambians to continue wearing their face masks, yeah. exercise social distancing, uh, uh, improve the sanitary conditions. Gambians, Gambians start with the first citizen. Yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> I am speaking on his behalf. So. <laughs> wear, wear your mask everywhere, Mr. President. <laughs> but, uh, yes, and then, you know, have a very blessed week. Uh, all right, Silla. Well, just to thank the men in uniform, uh, oh, the men oh, oh, and women oh, oh, one, in uniform. One question. Yes. Is the NPP going ahead with its planned inauguration in Cantora? Is it Cantora? Cantora. Uh, on the 6th of March, and then two days after you come and impose a lockdown? No, no I, I saw this on social media. I, I, I am not officially been informed of it, so I don't want to comment on it. But I can uh, find out and then get back to you. But, uh, uh, yes. Talking about that, let me be just very honest. Uh -huh. uh, there have been allegations that when the press list was coming out, we decided to do it after the Cantora event. Honestly, sincerely, none of us knew that there was an event scheduled for Cantora on that particular date. Mm -hmm. Will you not encourage them to postpone the, no, the, no, Cantor, fact, the Cantora in, thing like the UDP in, in fact, has rightly done for its fundraiser? In fact, 
in, in fact, soon after I saw those concerns, mm -hmm. I communicated with the right authorities, mm -hmm. and the it, this was not even the MPP actually, it was the, the MP mm -hmm. who the was area. doing a regional program there. Mm -hmm. So there were people who were assigned to talk to him mm -hmm. and see if he could reconsider rescheduling mm -hmm. until at such a time that the, the, the COVID pandemic is situated. Yes. Okay. So, but to suggest, really, Peter, that the press release was done, conscious of the Kantora event, is actually not true. You've been listening to Coffee Time with Peter Gomez, with the two Ibrahimas, Ibrahim Asila, the Minister responsible for Information and Communication Infrastructure, and Ibrahim Sankare, the Gambia government spokesman. Thank you for listening to the program. Thanks to our sponsors, OIC Gambia and Banyul Shipyard.